0: I am attempting to get myself into a little better shape and so I have gone back to the gym again. It's been about two months, which is usually the time that I stop going. We'll see if I make it past two months this time. And I was on the treadmill, it is a little before six o'clock in the morning, I'm barely awake, Um, I think I was walking a 23 minute mile at the time. So I'm, I'm almost just stumbling on the treadmill and there is a girl two down from me who is sprinting. I mean, she's just sprinting on this treadmill. And then she jumps off and the treadmill keeps going. And I thought, well, it's not a big deal, I just keep walking because I'm only half there anyway. And then she jumps back on. But I am pretty sure she was wearing a different shirt. And in my sleep kind of state, I thought, is this, like, was she wearing a sweatshirt? And she quickly threw it off because she was warm, and she got back on, and that's weird. But I don't really want to look over there because I don't want to be that creepy guy. <laughs> it's like staring at a woman on the treadmill. And so I'm just out of the corner of my eye. I'm thinking, that's weird. And then she jumps off again. And the treadmill keeps going. And at this point, I'm really getting curious And so she jumps back on, and she's wearing the same shirt she was before she got off the first time. What the heck is going on? And then I realize she's also a blonde, and the other one was a brunette. (laughs) There are two ladies that are sprinting for like 20 or 30 seconds. They jump off, and there's a mat, and they start doing core work. And they're just going back and forth with like no break. I mean, keeping up this intensity. And here I am, my 23-minute mile. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I want to be those women when I grow up. <laughs> and I, I walked for, I think, 12 minutes, and I get off, and they are still just going as I'm going off to do my workout. They are doing at a much better clip what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build my body back up. I'm trying to get into shape and, and, and to get some more muscle into something. That's what they are doing. They're building up their body. And I would imagine, based on watching that, it probably included diet and sleep. And I mean, they were doing things like, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm just walking my 12 you know, minutes for... Yeah. They are building up their body. And they are putting a lot into it. We are studying the early church Like this very early group of believers that don't make up a whole lot of people. They are not the billions that we have right now all over this globe. They're this small little group. And part of what we're studying is how they built the church up. How did this little group become this massive force of people all over the globe? How did they build the body up? Now, I would imagine that you have in your mind, either consciously or unconsciously, the way in which the church grows. You probably even have in your mind the people that are most important for the church growing. And you may even think you're not one of them. That your role in building the church up is really pretty small. You just kind of show up. But to be honest, you think it's the people up there. It's the person that has the million dollars, and so they give a whole bunch of money. It's the people that can do more than what you might think in your mind you can do. How does God build up his church Turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to study verses 26 to 30, but we're going to start in 31. I want to show you the conclusion. And This is still very early on in the church. They are just now starting to spread. They've gone into Samaria, out of Jerusalem, but it's still a young church with not a whole lot of people in it yet. But verse 31, so, it's a conclusion, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, that's kind of its range right now, had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Not only was it being built up, but it was continuing to be built up. What was part of that that built the church up? And what do we learn from that? Look at verse 26. And when he, this is Paul, when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now that may seem like a weird thing. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. Like, how could you ever mistake him for anything other than a disciple? And yet here it is, he's in Jerusalem... And he goes to the church there, and again, not a giant church at this point, but he goes to the church there, and he wants to join them. But they are afraid of Paul. Now here's some backstory, in case you don't know Paul's story. Paul, when we get introduced to him initially, he is Saul, and he is standing at the execution of the first martyr of the church. And he's giving approval. He is standing with those who kill Stephen. And from that point, this is what Paul does. He gets permission from the high priest to go all the way to Damascus, 170 miles to track down believers and drag them to Jerusalem in chains. This was Paul. Now, he has this miraculous experience on the road where he sees the Lord Jesus, he is converted, and he begins to preach. But then persecution happens, and he disappears. For three years, he's gone. He goes to Arabia, around the Damascus area, and he's just gone. And then suddenly he shows up in Jerusalem. Now, if you're a disciple, and there's this guy that was so intent on just obliterating the church... That he is actually tracking believers down. He has a conversion and then disappears. And then suddenly he shows up again. I would argue they don't trust this man. They think this is some kind of trick. He is still going to be persecuting people. And so they are afraid of him. And then Barnabas steps in. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas steps in. Here are the disciples. They are afraid of Paul. And he steps up. He takes Paul with him. He brings him to the apostles. And he says, no, this guy, this guy had an amazing conversion experience on the road where he saw the Lord. The Lord spoke to him. And then he began to boldly preach the gospel. And they listen. We'll see in a moment. But I want to make an argument that they didn't listen just because of the information that Barnabas gave to them. So we recently finished this thing with my daughter called DI, Destination Imagination. Uh, My wife coached this team and it turned out to be a lot more work than I think what had been imagined it would be. I mean, it was a lot of work, a lot of time. And we went, they went to this first competition, and they won, and so we had to keep going. <laughs> and like, we were excited that they won, but there was a sense of like, we thought this was kind of done, like we, were, we had put all this energy into it, and I say we, I didn't do hardly anything. My wife put all this energy in. And so, all right, fine, we're going to state, we're going to go compete. And so they spend a lot more time, they go to state, it's on April 2nd, right after April Fool's Day, all day they are in Anna doing this competition. I took the boys in the morning, we watched them, and then my wife and my daughter stayed to hear who won. Well, we didn't get to hear anything, they come back home and my daughter walks in the door. And here's what I'm thinking. Okay, this is, this is the big competition. And like, I saw a couple of, and I thought, okay, well, hopefully they'll do well, but maybe this makes me a bad parent. I really didn't want them to win. I didn't want to keep going. Like, we're gonna to have to travel, we're gonna to have to like, and so I want her to win, but I don't want her to win. I'm very conflicted inside. And so she walks in the door and she goes, Daddy, we won. And I'm going yay and dying inside at the same time. (laughs) I'm like, how do I do this? And I'm looking at my daughter. I'm like, oh my goodness. But there's a part of me going, I don't, I don't know that I believe her. Like I do, but I don't. I mean, like, did they really win? I mean, I saw some of what they were doing, and like, I don't. I'm just not sure. And so I look over to my wife, because if my wife says they won, then I'm going to believe it. If my daughter says they won. I'm going to be like, I think I believe it, but I'm not sure. Maybe she misunderstood. Maybe. And my daughter goes, April Fools. That was the best April Fools on me. <laughs> it was awesome. And, and now you know how gullible I am for next April Fools. But my wife's word meant more than my daughter's word. Anybody of the disciples might have grabbed Paul and brought him to the the apostles with the exact same argument, but they weren't Barnabas. Let me tell you a little about Barnabas. If the early church record is correct, Barnabas is numbered among one of the 70 that are mentioned in Luke. He would have been there like with Jesus going through the ministry. If nothing else, he is mentioned very, very early on in Acts chapter 4 as one of these very early disciples. And when we meet him, this is what he's doing. Barnabas is a landowner, so he's got some money. Barnabas, we meet him, he sells his land and he gives the money to the church so the church can take care of those who have less. If you follow Barnabas through Acts, He becomes a partner of Paul where he's sharing the gospel. In Acts 14, he's actually called an apostle along with Paul. In Acts 15, he goes to the council. I mean, this is the first major council that's in Jerusalem, and they're trying to figure out, do Gentiles need to be circumcised? Barnabas is one of the voices at this council that is saying, no, we are watching God work without circumcision. Hey, Barnabas is a well respected voice in the early church. Barnabas has influence. And so when Barnabas takes Paul and he brings him to the apostles, it's not just some random guy vouching for him. It's Barnabas. And he comes and says, he has seen the Lord and he has been preaching the word. This guy is real. And they accept it. They believe Barnabas's words. Barnabas uses his influence. He uses his stature. He uses what he has in the faith. For the sake of others, for the sake of the church. This is what I would call his faith. He has a responsible faith. He takes the gifts that God has given to him and uses them for the church whether it is his land his influence his ability to preach the gospel to others whatever it is he is using that for the church responsible faith helps build up the church there's a little girl She's 14 now, but when she was 11, Allison Christensen, she had some kind of aching and she went to the doctor and it wasn't just like a normal, average, everyday thing. Um, They found out that she needed a new heart. I mean, it was a serious thing. And she was able to get a transplant. She's 14 now. She's got some medicine she has to take, but she's living a pretty normal life. Well, while she was going through this, the Make-A-Wish Foundation found out and they offered her one of those Make-A-Wish. If you know what that is, kids that are going through these really, 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 really terribly really, terapia, really ter- 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 the Make-A-Wish Foundation will often be able to give some of these kids the opportunity to do something they might never get to do. Well, this happened with her. And here's what this 11-year-old girl did. She got her heart. And then she said, there's a bunch of kids that are still sick. Kids that are like hurting. I don't want the wish. I want to give this wish to others. And she was able to give $2,000 through this foundation to a group that provides water in Haiti for children. That is a responsible faith. This girl was given something, life. I mean, a new heart, a new lease to live. And instead of taking, she took what was offered to her, this other gift, and said, I want to give this. That is responsible faith. It's what you see in Barnabas, not just in this moment, but really throughout the record we have of him taking what is being given to him by God and giving that to others. James was the head of the Jerusalem church, the guy who writes the book of James, and he is the one that writes, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Do you believe that? What you have, whether it is a good job, whether it is influence, whether it's a certain skill set, what you have has been given to you. You may have had to work on it and hone it and do hard work, and I won't deny that. But God has gifted all of us. What are you doing with that gift? How are you using it? Because that kind of faith is what God used to build the church up and still does. What are you doing with your gifts? Number two. Go back into the text. Verse 28. So he, again, Paul, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now, little background on this. Paul goes out and he says he preaches boldly. The word means freely, without hindrance. It doesn't mean a like, I I got courage up in myself and stepped out because I worked myself up into a frenzy and was able to do it. This is not what you see like before a football game where they're all in a huddle and they're like, that's not it. Boldly, means freely and without hindrance, even in the face of danger. It means he's just going out there and he's preaching the word. Uh, And and the people he's preaching to, part of them, they're called the Hellenists. These are more than likely the same people that stoned Stephen. They were Hellenists. And it's not like there's multiple churches of them This is very likely the same group. Think about this. Three years prior, Paul was standing with this group who was so angry at the preaching of Jesus that they killed the preacher. And Paul was there going, yes, I'm behind this. In fact, I'm gonna go do more of it. And now he's coming to those people. He knows what they are capable of because he witnessed it. And yet, he is still going to them, preaching the gospel. That is a bold faith. That is stepping out wherever it is God has called him, no matter what, and freely sharing what God has gifted Paul with. Even the early church. These disciples, they are very likely less than the Hellenists. The fact that they don't do this, think about it. If they outnumbered the people that were threatening Paul, why not just stand up to them and say, hey, he's under our protection? You know, kind of a little mafia thing and saying, look, we're in charge here. Step back from Paul. They can't. They are outnumbered. They are risking themselves even saving Paul. But that's what this bold kind of faith did. It stepped out. Here's the key, and please hear this. They have no guarantee from God of safety. Paul is not boldly, freely out there preaching the gospel, knowing that somehow, no matter what happens, I'm just safe. In fact, Paul would tell you the opposite, and his life would witness the opposite. I mean, you will see Paul throughout the book of Acts and in his letters, he is, he's literally stoned one time. He is beaten, he is shipwrecked, he goes without food and water. I mean, he is not out there boldly preaching because he has this idea that no matter what I do, God's just gonna keep me safe. That is not where his boldness is coming from. Early church is the same thing. Two times in the book of Acts, God says to Paul specifically in a specific instance, and we'll cover actually both of them over our series in Acts. Two times, I'm gonna keep you safe right now because I got something for you. But that's it. Friends, boldness in the Lord cannot come because you have this idea that as long as you are bold for him, he's gonna make everything right in your life. It doesn't work that way. Let me tell you where his boldness comes from. In fact, this word is only used in Acts and one time in Thessalonians, this word boldly. And here's where his boldness comes from. He believes in the truth of what he is doing so much that it doesn't matter if things don't work out the way he thinks they're supposed to work out. He believes in the kingdom He believes in a risen Lord Jesus Christ and in an eternity that he doesn't care if it doesn't work out exactly how he may want it to work out because he believes in this truth of who Christ is, of what the kingdom is. And so he steps out preaching whether or not he gets persecuted, whether or not he gets shipwrecked, whether or not he gets blessed. For doing it. He steps out. Back in World War II, they needed more ground troops. And a way of getting more ground troops was for the first time training a group of female pilots so that the women could fly these planes and the men could go into ground combat. And in World War II, they trained around 1,100 women to fly every kind of plane they had. They were flying bombers. They were training these women to fly these planes. And they were, these women were willingly stepping into this. But here's the thing. They, they had an interview with one of them, Margaret Taylor. And she was describing one time when she's in this plane and the engine caught on fire. And she could see the flame, but she did not parachute out of the plane. Because even though they trained all of these women, they did not make parachute packs for them. They gave them male parachute packs that were too big. And when you are flying at a certain speed and you get out, the force can actually pull the parachute off. And so she was looking at her engine being on fire and trying to decide what's worse. Do I eject and and risk the parachute flying off me and dying from the fall, or do I just wait and hope that this plane will actually be able to land? Could you imagine being in that situation? You are giving your life for your country but they won't even make a parachute for you that fits. These women were not flying because they had some sense of safety, because they thought it would all work out. They were literally flying because they believed so much in what they were doing that they were willing to risk flying in an airplane without a parachute. That's what you see in the early church. That's what helped build up the church. It wasn't a notion of I am safe all the time. It wasn't a notion that God is gonna bless me as long as I... I, I taught at a Christian school for a long time, and everybody who teaches at a Christian school has probably experienced this. I'd have students who would come to me before a test, and they would say this. I didn't study, but... I was serving the Lord on Saturday and so I think he'll bless me in taking my test. <laughs> and I would say to them, what about Friday and Thursday and Wednesday? But they had this idea, and here's the thing, some of them were they were serious about this. They were thinking they had a case before the Lord. Like, I went on this little mission thing on Saturday afternoon, and so now God is going to give me an A on my paper. And I said, God's not grading your paper. I am. (laughs) And unless you get the answers right, you won't get an A. We have this idea that, like, as long as we're doing our part, or even this, God, if you will guarantee something to me, Then I will do my part. The way in which this church was being built up is you see, and not just with these two, but you see people who are taking seriously that God has gifted them and they're using it. Whatever it is, what do you have that you can give for the kingdom of God? I don't care what it is. Maybe you can't get up here and preach. Maybe you can't sing. Maybe you don't have a lot of money. What do you have? Because you have giftedness. God has given it to you. What can you use for the kingdom? And use it boldly. Really step out and give it. Even when you have no guarantee of the outcome. God use that to build his church. To build up the kingdom. And we have the privilege, as Toby said two weeks ago, We have the privilege of being a part of that. Building the greatest kingdom in the universe. And we're invited in. I discovered something at the gym on a Sunday morning. Most people are not stupid enough to go. If you go to the gym Monday through Saturday, there's like a hundred people at that place. You go on a Sunday morning at 6 a.m., it's you and one other weirdo. That's it, it's like nobody else in the entire gym. I'm on my treadmill again. I think I'm doing a 21 minute mile now instead of 23. I'm really pushing it. I'm doing my treadmill and I happen to notice that one of the televisions, like there's televisions all over the place, one of the televisions has a preacher on it. I've never seen that at 24 Hour Fitness before. There's a preacher giving a sermon on one of the televisions. That's interesting. And then there's, there's the 24 Hour Fitness like music channel, and so it's always playing on the televisions and it's playing like you know music to get you going and that's the, actually what you're hearing on the speakers but you can see a, a video of the band playing music. And I'm listening to, actually I'm listening to a podcast but I can hear the music just a little bit, and I start, I think I know that song. They were playing Skillet. They were playing a Christian song with a preacher on the TV. I thought, wow, 24-hour fitness is Christian on Sundays. (laughs) Yeah, they're not. Um, It went off after that, but like, I'm standing there, this is so amazing. Like, here's this preacher, here's this Christian music, and, and me and one other weirdo. And that, that's all us two weirdos, the only one's there. Friend, on Saturday, and I'm going to start telling the story, he's going to know it's him. He said, I'm starting to see that at times I am a weekend or a Sunday Christian. That that's where my faith is. That when I come here, I pray, and I hear the word, but through the week, there's not a whole lot going on. I can tell you that 24-hour fitness is a little bit like what I've seen in my own life at times, and probably what maybe you've seen at yours at times, a Sunday faith friends, no guilt, nothing like that, I want to give you an invitation. We have the opportunity every day to be a part of God's kingdom. Not because we have to, not because there's some boxes to check off, like, okay, I did my prayer time. We have the privilege, the honor to be a part of the kingdom of God every day. Day to be a part of building that in our lives, in our kids' lives, in our family's lives, in our friends' lives, to take what God has gifted us with and to be bold with it, because it's God Almighty, and it is the greatest kingdom ever. Let's be those people. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for your word and for your call in every person's life in this room. Lord, I ask you right now to speak to everybody, to let every single person know that they are called into your kingdom and have a place, a role. And Lord, give us that bold, responsible faith to take what you've given to us, our gifts, and to step out and to use them in any way that you would have us, Lord, to build up your kingdom. In Christ's holy name we ask it. Amen.